0: To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss.
2: Breaking and entering, drunk and disorderly, law and order. A former prosecutor and a defense lawyer—not your typical pairing—and the result: conversations about crime and punishment that are guaranteed to get you thinking.
1: Welcome to Justice Matters with Joe Crowley and Lizzie Green, a brand new weekly podcast. Our episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Check out our Instagram for clips at Justice Matters Pod. Enjoy the episode. Listeners are advised that this episode contains descriptions of murder and intimate partner homicide. Discretion is advised.
2: Well, hi, Joe.
1: Hello, Lizzie.
2: Welcome back to us.
1: Thank you to to the podcast. It's great to be here.
2: Now today I think you are going to talk to us about some poisoning cases that uh, one I think has been in the media recently but there have been others of note.
1: Yes so so poisoning cases I think people have a, a sort of a fascination with uh, you know, there's that movie with Jeremy Irons and Glenn Close about the Klaus von Bulow in America in the 80s, where he was said to, or maybe the late 70s, said to have injected his wife with a a fatal dose of insulin. Um, and that was then made into a movie.
2: I'm not familiar with that one. It might be your generation's.
1: <laughs> My movie references are all pretty old. <laughs> um, the, the case that's in the media in the, at the moment is Aaron Patterson. Um, and uh, she has been charged with um, three counts of murder and four counts of attempted murder in relation to poisoning. Um, uh, and I'll go into some details about that in a minute. But what I found interesting about it is talking to some of my friends about it, because it's been in the media, I've been struck by the way everybody is talking as if she is guilty. And the matter hasn't gone to trial yet. But one of the things that I mean I think lawyers know is that poisoning cases can be notoriously difficult and there are you know two uh, miscarriage of justice cases that I'm going to talk about both of them poisoning cases one a very famous English case old English case but one of them is an Australian case from the 1970s early 80s in relation to poisoning and I think those cases really highlight some of the problems that you can have in in poisoning cases.
2: But coming back to the fact that the media are talking about this mm. and maybe with the slant that she is guilty, I mean, that's not unusual.
1: No. I mean, we talked about it in our episode on media yeah. and the law. Absolutely. I think that the, the way the media are slanting their stories are um, that she's guilty. And so one of the couple of things I wanted to do is point out, you know, some – Potential weaknesses in the case. I mean, we don't know. The matter hasn't gone to trial, and we have to presume that she's innocent. But I object to some of the reporting because I think that it's per- putting a certain gloss on the case. And there's other things that they're not saying, which hopefully I'll say, which people might want to consider.
2: I think I think that is fairly standard, though. I mean, the media saturates every type mm. of internet platform we have, and people are entitled, even in the media or especially in the media, to have opinion pieces. Mm. Uh, and that's meant to be a separate sort of consideration to evidence in court, which can be the only thing that leads to a conviction or an acquittal. So I don't
1: see I'm that as I'm all for a- opinions. I just think pretrial publicity uh, can be... Uh, I think, you know, we need to be a bit more careful about pretrial publicity before somebody has been tried. Afterwards, sure. But, um, I mean, before they've chosen a jury and people are trying to be objective and listen to the evidence as opposed to what they've read in the newspaper.
2: Or we could go down that rabbit hole. Maybe we will a bit later.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Starting from first principles. So we've talked about before on the podcast, the elements of murder. So it's the causing the death of a person and doing it with that intention to kill or do serious harm. So in a poisoning case, I think that breaks down into there's a, there's a sort of some potential problem areas in terms of proving those. So I think first problem that you sometimes see in a poisoning case is establishing the cause of death, working out that somebody has been poisoned, because what tends to happen is that they fall ill and then they... Die, and then there has to be an autopsy to work out what exactly killed them. And I mean, I'm not a medical scientist, but uh, I understand that determining poisons and how people die can often be very problematic. I've, I've done a number of cases where cause of death has been an issue, not poisoning cases, but you know, the TV, I think, and TV show CSI makes it out like doctors can just identify very quickly how people died. The reality is, in my experience, certainly, that depending on the type, on the cause, on the way the person died, it can. Can be quite difficult determining how people died, and I think poisoning is one of those kind of cases.
2: Why, if if there's some substance, some toxic substance detected, why would it be so difficult to track that back?
1: Well, I think I think probably a number. Again, we're getting onto some science stuff, but <laughs> let me just have a a bit of a stab at it. One. I think you've got to know what toxic substance you're looking for. I think the 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 idea that there's some general test that'll just tell you what substances, you know, can be, you know, that you if you know what you're looking for you you could be right and there's certainly a case where they knew what they were looking for and found it. But also, you know, the way that poisons kill people in in terms of their actual method of death, you know, does the heart stop or, you know, does the, all the organs fail or you know, I think that that you've got to if you can determine exactly what caused the you know what exactly in the body stopped working that can then help you determine what the poison because it seems to me that as i say if you know what you're looking for you're okay but if you don't know what you're looking for it can be problematic and i don't think that was a particular problem in the aaron patterson case but i think it what they're looking for was problems in some other cases
2: so maybe where someone has died but there might have been other medical issues like
1: that's right. I mean if they've got you know if they've got some other medical issues is, is it because of that that the death was caused or right. So once you once you've determined okay so the person was definitely died from this poison the, the next thing you've got to work out is how that poison was administered or got into their system ingested and what link does the accused play in that? Because as we'll see in some of the cases some of these people were voluntarily taking certain things that ended up killing them.
2: Knowing that they were toxic?
1: Yeah. Well, one of them was arsenic in, in the 19th century. Arsenic was taken in small doses as a, as a form of medicine. But arsenic can build up in your system to the, to the extent that it gets to a lethal level and then you die. Mm. Um, and that's the Florence Maybrick case, which we'll look at later. He, he was voluntarily taking arsenic. Um, and then he dies of arsenic poisoning, and she's charged with his death. So, so exactly how the poison gets into the system and how that relates to the accused, I think, can can be problematic. Mm-hmm. Let's assume you establish that. Then it needs to be established that there is this intention to kill or do serious injury, and I think that's in the in the Aaron Patterson case. I'll go through it in a second. But I think that's where the it's problematic.
2: Putting aside our nineteenth-century arsenic.
0: Cases. Yes.
2: If you are deemed to have administered a toxic substance that has caused death, mm. how hard could it be to show that that was deliberately done? Like,
1: well, uh, well, if we look at the Klaus von Bülow case very briefly, he's injecting his wife with insulin. He used to inject her. She she was a diabetic. He would inject her regularly. They said that the he injects her with a sort of a dose of insulin that sends her into a coma. Um, that's then proved to be false. But I mean, if he, but if he is injecting her with medication as part of her medical care, you know, and then it comes down to well, what's the dosage and how much was did it was it accident, you know. So the 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 way that it's administered and the reasons for it being administered, I think, can often be problematic in a
2: poison okay. case. But if it wasn't like medicine, but it was a poison, it would be less difficult wouldn't it, to establish that intention?
1: Sure, absolutely. I mean, if you, um, you know, force a cyanide capsule down someone's mm. mouth and they eat it and die pretty instantly, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's going to be an easy poisoning case okay. to establish. all right. But in terms of establishing that intention, yes. why else would you be pushing that's a right. cyanide capsule down someone else's throat except to cause death or grievous bodily harm, or sorry, serious injury? But um, anyway, so I think that there are these these three potential problems that can come up, not all three of them in every poisoning case, but they're things that I think that have got to be looked at. Mm -hmm. So um, if I'll go through um, the Erin Patterson case, she is 48 years old. Um, She's a stay at home mum. She has two children. Um, She lives in a little town in Gippsland Victoria, which is a beautiful um, area of country area of Victoria. It's called Leon Gatha, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Leon Gatha. So she has a troubling relationship with her ex-husband, and they have arguments over access to children. I understand I'm getting all of this from the newspapers. Okay. A lunch is organised to, uh, uh, according to the newspapers, discuss the ongoing issues with access to children.
2: Between her and the ex. Between
1: her and the ex. And the people who are invited to the lunch are her ex-husband, his parents, so her former parents-in-law, and um, his auntie and uncle, so her sort of... in-law, oh uh, Yeah, auntie and uncle-in-law. So it's five people who were invited. Now, at the last minute, and I don't know exactly how long before that is, but at the last minute, the paper records, um, the ex-husband pulls out of the lunch.
2: So it's just his family going. Just
1: his family going <laughs> and her. And they have this lunch. Now, at the lunch... Um, Erin Patterson serves beef wellington which they have which she has prepared herself. I will come back to beef wellington later. And after the lunch, all four of the guests get sick. Ooh. Seriously ill and are all hospitalized. 3 of them die. Wow. So her former parents-in-law, so her husband's parents and her her, her husband's auntie, her former auntie-in-law all pass away. Wow. The, the uncle survived. In survives. a short time frame? Oh, no. They, uh, I think they were lingering in, in hospital for a couple of weeks. Gosh. So uh, there's an investigation into the matter and she is...
2: Did they originally suspect murder or were they just doing an investigation as to the cause of death? I,
1: I think they were doing an investigation as to cause of death. She So that happens, the the... the, the Lunch is in July. She's not charged until November. And I want to talk about that too, that period of time and what the police did or might have been doing in that time to try and build a case.
2: And obviously, she didn't get sick.
1: She did not get sick. I don't know whether she ate it or I, I, I haven't seen anything about it. She doesn't get sick, but they do. Okay. Now, um, so the medical evidence comes back and it says that the death was caused by what are called death cap mushrooms. I don't know anything about mushrooms and I'm not a particularly good cook so probably
2: wouldn't eat I suspect
1: ones. if something's labeled death cap mushrooms you're not thinking <laughs> I'm going to make a risotto. Yes, no. I don't know. Um and she so that, so that's determined but then it's not for a while that she's charged. She's interviewed, a long interview by police in, in August. In that interview uh, she talks about the mushrooms. Now, I assumed when I started reading the story, she's somebody who likes collecting fresh produce, has picked the wrong mushrooms, you know, and, and put them in this. Now, I, so, I don't know about you, but...
2: No, my mind immediately went to... That must have been deliberate. Magic Magic mushroom.
1: <laughs> I mean, I don't know what your parents were like. When I was young, my parents were very much like they're good mushrooms, they're bad mushrooms. I can't remember which is the difference. I just avoided all mushrooms. Yes. But, you know, we were certainly told that if you ever see these ones growing, they're the bad ones. And, I
2: think we um, were just told any wild growing ones do
1: not eat. Do not eat, yeah. yeah. So you just buy store-bought ones. Mm. And apparently in Leon Gatha, wild mushrooms is a thing to the extent that the hotel sold a uh, fettuccine, I think it was, a wild mushroom fettuccine. Yeah. So, I don't know whether they grow in the area or something.
2: Patrons be warned.
1: Well, obviously, after this, they took it off the menu. Mm. So, but it turns out that we learn from the media who find out from the statement that Erin um, Patterson gave to the police. I don't know how the media got that statement or this portion of it, but that she bought mushrooms from a Chinese grocery store. So, these aren't mushrooms that she has sourced herself. She's gone and bought them from a grocery store. Now, I think that you know is interesting in that you know I'm am I guess that they're not selling death cap mushrooms.
2: Like was that confirmed that she had bought mushrooms? Well
1: I don't we haven't had the trial. So she's this is what she's told the police. Okay. I don't know what you know the truth or otherwise of that. I'm putting it out. I there.
2: wonder what impact that had on the Chinese store. Yeah, their...
1: I wonder if she named them. Maybe not. Mm. But oh well But as I say I'm sure they're not Selling death cat mushrooms. No, I know,
2: but it would have an impact anyway. But
1: they then continue to investigate. Now, the police bring in what are called, um, I think they're called technology dogs or something. They're these, I heard they were bringing in sniffer dogs to the house. I thought, well, that's interesting. Presumably they're looking for mushrooms. Um, (laughs) No, it turns out they were looking for technology, they were looking for um, hard drives, computers, data keys, mobile phones.
2: It's incredible what those dogs can do. I know.
1: So these dogs specifically smell out these things, and I don't know what they fi- found or what they were looking for, but I'm going to take a stab and say they were looking for evidence that Aaron Patterson had been going on to Google, Googling death cap mushrooms or how to kill your husband or something.
2: Right. It's amazing how many people do stupid things like that. Yeah, Google. Remember um,
1: um Baden Bade Clay. Clay? Yeah. That's right.
2: His Google searches got him in. A lot of trouble before he killed his wife.
1: Well, I think standard police procedure in investigating certain crimes is to go straight to your Google search history. I'm interested to know what they found. Certainly I haven't seen any paper reporting what they found. My guess is they found nothing. Why? Well, because otherwise we would have heard about it. I mean, stuff that seems to be a bit incriminate does seem to be making its way to the newspapers. So um, I think it would be unlikely the police would keep, if they found some smoking gun... That would. I mean, for example, the the in the Baden Clay case, the fact that what he had been googling was in the papers well before the trial. And actually,
2: should it. we just give context? So, yes. Jared Baden Clay, yep. a man from Brisbane who has been convicted of murdering his wife, yes. Alison. Uh, and part of the investigation revealed that he had googled life insurance policies. Yeah, I think it was, yes, I um, He had googled. Your right to silence. Right to silence, that's right. um, Something else. And also, technology got him because he said he'd been asleep the whole night before she went missing. Mm. And then they could track that his iPhone had been out and about and put back on charge at 1 a.m. or something. So, yes, yes, lots of technology based Mm. evidence. And a very high high profile
1: case. case. I think they were a reasonably wealthy couple in a well to do suburb she was missing for a few days and he'd
2: made public appeals yes. it was yeah it was a really it was a really tough one
1: yes yeah so the technology dogs have, have gone in now they don't arrest uh, Aaron Patterson until November so what are the police waiting for he i'm going to have a guess here
2: sorry can i just ask yes. did you say that they knew the mushrooms had been eaten in the beef wellington at this point yes
1: uh, that seems to be what is is the 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 mushrooms are in the beef well. I think Erin Patterson has admitted using m- mushrooms are a, a, an ingredient in beef Wellington. I should say that. Okay. I'll come back to that. Um, and uh, she's admitted to cooking the beef Wellington, putting these mushrooms p- that she bought from the Chinese grocer in in the in the beef Wellington, okay. serving them. up.
2: And other question. Yes. When she was charged. Mm. Like is she on bail or is she on remand?
1: Ooh, I don't know that.
2: Okay, because I wonder if some of the information was made available through the bail application, if there was one.
1: Yes, it's possible. So to explain when a person is, um, uh, when the police are, uh, well, when there's a bail application, uh, affidavits are, are filed in the court and those affidavits are often public. So you can go to the registry and search them. And so that in cases, criminal cases, often the media can get information from affidavits filed Because I think
2: that happened with Bait and Clay. Mm. Yeah.
1: So there was a case of um, Susan Neil Fraser in Tasmania, not a poisoning case. She was convicted of killing her husband. He went missing. He's never been found.
2: Is this the boat one?
1: Boat one, yes. Mm. He, was, he was staying overnight on a boat, never seen again, some blood found on the boat. Anyway, she was convicted, but, she, but there was a, a, a lag period between him going missing and being presumed dead and her being arrested. And during that time, the police bugged her house. Because they wanted, presumably, her to be walking around talking to herself about how she had murdered her husband. Now, they, besides bugging her phone in her house, they got nothing for that entire period. Zero. For the entire period. You're so cynical. Well, well, what else are you... You know, she lived alone. I mean, what else are you expecting? I don't know. So, um, you know, I mean, it's like Lady Macbeth walking the ramparts out, out, damn spot, you know, whatever... So anyway, they don't get in there yet.
2: I think that's fine for the police to be utilising investigative techniques. Particularly, like you're coming at it probably from defence. Yeah, of
1: course I'm coming at it from if, defence.
2: But if it was your relative who was missing, you'd be like, yes, bug the house. Let's see what we can find.
1: I don't have any problems with that. These search warrants are highly regulated. Those kind of covert warrants have to go before in Queensland. A Supreme Court judge, I presume the same in Tasmania, and they have to satisfy certain thresholds. And they wouldn't be issued if that wasn't satisfied. I have no problems with that. The issues I have is that it doesn't, you know, they don't seem to take into account their investigative techniques that find nothing. They only take into account things that find something. But the fact that they they do all of this stuff and they don't find that she's on the phone talking to people about how she just murdered her husband, they don't find anything incriminating, that's relevant for the jury to know. And that isn't something the defence should bring out, that's something the prosecution should bring out.
2: But if they don't utilise all of their investigative techniques you don't know what evidence they would miss. And so you can't fault them for trying to get to the truth. And if nothing comes of one particular technique, that's not on the police. That's not them doing something wrong. And it's like you wouldn't expect police to say, oh, we searched the park um, where she'd gone and found nothing. Like The evidence that comes out in court is what they have found. That's
1: well. I must say, I think that it, it should be Depending, I mean, it depends on the circumstances. Police often do an enormous amount of searches mm. and, and investigation. I don't think they have to go through a chapter and verse. But I mean, I think that was an, very relevant in that case that they do all this covert searching and it doesn't come out. I mean, in the, I mean, in the in the Mallard case, Andrew Mallard from uh, West Australia, we've talked about before. He's um, convicted of murdering a, a woman in a shop. And they did uh, an enormous amount of covert um, work on Mallard. They put a, a covert operative to, to befriend him and follow him for a number of days um, and got nothing. Now, none of that came out of trial. That was all discovered later on and put in the pardon petition. Um, so I think there are occasions when investigative techniques that turn up nothing do need to be put before a jury because I think that's useful. Now, I don't know what they found, if anything, in this period of time between, you know, August when they interview Erin Patterson and then arresting her in November. But my guess is that they have done the same thing, that they have um, put bugs in her house, they've tapped her phone and they've tried to get some evidence that way. And again, my guess, I don't know, is that they haven't found anything because if they had, my I suspect it would have been leaked to the media. All right. All right. So... The problem in the case seems to be, so I talked about the three problems that you can potentially have in a, in a m- poisoning case. I don't think it's a problem, the cause of death. I think the, the, the medical evidence seems to be clear this is what they died from. And then the administering of it, how the accused is involved in administering the poison, in this case, again, doesn't seem to be an issue because it was at the lunch. They all ate it and she prepared Except her. Well, I don't, maybe she's immune to it. Who knows? But <laughs> um, but the, it's the third one, this intention to kill or do serious harm that I think is problematic in this case. Okay. So serving a lunch to somebody that then causes them to get severe food poisoning, even, um, you know, life-threatening food poisoning, you know, is not doesn't indicate an intention to kill or do serious harm unless you've put something in it. Unless you have put, like one of the other cases we might talk about, antifreeze in it. Good so, I mean, antifreeze is never going to be an ingredient in anything that you're cooking. For no. A, so, but if it's mushroom, I mean, if it's death cat mushrooms, okay. You know, nobody's eating death cat mushrooms. But if, it's, if, if they are, you know, in a packet of mushrooms and you don't know, or, you know, you go and pick them in the woods thinking that they're not death cat mushrooms, but they are. I mean, those two circumstances don't indicate an intention to kill or do serious harm.
2: So I guess my pause for concern here Mm. is, A, she didn't get sick, which seems either extraordinarily lucky Mm. or by design. Mm -hmm. And secondly, I mean, we're not talking about her current family. This is her ex's family. Presumably it was not all, you know, sunshine and lollipops between them. So that adds a layer of consideration that perhaps there was motive. And I know that motive is not the same as intention. We have to be very clear to distinguish those two Mm. things at law, but evidence of motive can contribute to evidence leading to intention so that's where I would be thinking don't rush too quickly to say inadvertent poisoning
1: so I'm not I'm just postulating a few possibilities that I haven't seen reported in the media because no know, nobody knows it hasn't got a trial but I think that you know giving other possibilities that aren't being reported in the media I think you know is useful because i as a defense lawyer read this stuff and i think well hang on you you've missed out this bit or what about that bit okay but i think you 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 do raise interesting points so um this idea that obviously there might be no love loss between her and her former in-laws is an interesting one now i'm sure we all know people or have been in situations where we've had um ex-in-laws that we have problematic relationships with or we know people who have I think the fact that they were prepared to come over, it, this wasn't sort of an intervention where they just sort of came over unannounced, sat around and had some, you know, browbeating discussion about access to kids. This was a pre-planned sit-down meal. That sounds quite convivial. That says to me that there's a level of goodwill in the relationships that they were prepared and, and a level of civility that they were prepared to do that. Well, so,
2: But then I come back to the fact the actual ex dipped out at the last minute. Mm. Which, again, is either extraordinarily lucky, or coincidental. I don't know. Like what?
1: I, I don't know. I haven't seen media. How reports did he about get it, but... on
2: with his parents?
1: Well, I, I don't. I don't... <laughs> well, sorry. He's the victim of the attempted of three of the attempted murder charges. So, oh, okay. So she, yeah. So the the so it's three murder charges for the three people who died after the Four attempted murder charges. One for the person at the lunch who survived, yes, and then three for earlier occasions where her husband, ex-husband, had eaten her meals and become ill.
2: Oh, a slow learner.
1: Is it? Let's let's think about that. But anyway, so but my point, but but so you know, okay. If you say, well, she just hates her in-laws so much. Well, I mean, maybe, but the certainly the level of civility that she was showing or that they were evincing doesn't evidence that hmm. then uh, you know there's this idea that okay so you hate your ex and he, so it is the you know the, you, she they say he wants to kill the ex so he's the man who um you know she's angry at she wants to kill him hence the attempted murder charges if she wants to kill him when he doesn't come to the lunch and she's poisoned the be falling why does she serve it why does she go oh that's spoiled we're just gonna have to get takeout. You know, well, I mean,
2: getting takeout. But if if you've invited people over for lunch, uh, and you've prepared something, you're not going to have a second meal ready to go.
1: No, sure, but I mean, at the risk of killing people, you reckon you just go, oh, sorry, everybody, I'm just that's not. I mean, you must have. I've been at lunches where things aren't cooked properly, and you're like, oh, should we serve that? Oh. You know, obviously, they're not death cat mushrooms, but um,
0: thank the Lord.
1: You know, you know, things take longer to cook than you want. People are sitting around and you're like, oh, what do we serve? But
2: if we're talking about someone, and I know that these are only allegations at this stage, mm. but hypothetically, if we're talking about someone who is willing to poison their
0: ex mm. to death, if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Do we think that she would have much compunction in saying, oh, well, to hell with it. I'll serve it anyway. Like.
1: Sorry, committing mass slaughter. I mean, can you think of another occasion where Three people have died and and on the Crown case she was aiming at killing five people in one go. I mean, that's Martin Bryant kind of stuff. That's just, that is slaughter on a mass scale. Yeah,
2: but if she had prepared, let's say
1: the prosecution are correct,
2: which has not been proved. No. But let's say she had prepared poisoned beef Wellington for that lunch. Yes. Is Beef Wellington the little parcels?
1: It seems to be like a, a giant sausage roll.
2: Yeah, so they would have to have been individually prepared.
1: Oh, I thought no, I think you make it as a roll and then you cut it up.
2: Oh right. I mean, I'm not I this think
1: is I'm not thinking a Jamie cafe Oliver. beef wellington. Yeah, okay. I'm not sure. Yep.
2: But so either way, if the ex had come, she was clearly prepared to serve it to everybody. So sure. she she was a good. Going into that lunch, allegedly, with the intent of serving the poisoned beef Wellington to all of them. So if the ex isn't there, why, why suddenly does she change her mind? She was willing to to poison them all in the first place. Sure.
1: I mean, I think you've got to if you've got to the stage where she has deliberately poisoned the beef Wellington with death cat mushrooms, you are you're you're ninety five ninety nine percent towards proving you're guilty. You know,
2: uh, but that's right. But so just because he didn't come, and you're saying, well, why didn't she just not serve it? Well, she was willing to serve it to all of them. Presumably willing, mm. if the crown case is correct, she would have presumably been willing to kill them all mm, to know, successfully which, kill the ex. Yeah, and so it's not yeah. that much of a stretch to say, oh well, she went ahead with the plan. Yeah, but, even but it he sounds wasn't to me there.
1: like an utterly extraordinary plan. that but you But that's would because kill... you're not murderous. Sure, but I mean, as I say, you—you, you, when is the last murder that you know that where somebody killed five people in one go? Because that's the plan in Australia. On, well, anywhere.
2: Oh, in America, it happens all the time.
1: Okay, okay. So mass shootings. All right. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, okay, Australia. Let's pick Australia. Well, five I have a just things. Well, just is just staggering. Well,
2: it's staggering. It's abhorrent. It's horrific to consider. But we're talking about. Human experience, and we know that maybe not all at once, but there are plenty of people who've killed multiple mm. people so this is just getting it all in one hit. Like it's not outside the realm of possibility.
1: No, you're right. It's not outside the realm of possibility. But is it, is it beyond, could you be satisfied beyond a reasonable doubt? I'm not sure you could. Oh, I mean, we don't know the evidence, so let's not prejudge it. But, what, but you're saying and, that- and, the, and can I just go back to your point about the mass shootings in America? Yeah, absolutely. But those people, when you look at them, they are troubled, you know, kids. And you hear all this stuff about, he was a goth at school and he hated everyone. He didn't talk to anyone. And then he turns up at the school with a, you know, with the M16 and thins out the crowd. I mean, you know, Aaron Patterson seems to be a completely ordinary person who's a stay-at-home mum so, with two kids.
2: So did a lot of those. Like, it's not every mass shooter who has been recognised as a troubled person until they commit the, the crime. Like, it, it's only once they commit the mass shooting in some cases that there's hindsight and they say, oh, gosh, well, they... They did have this, this, and this. Like it, yeah, well, yeah. We see the signs around. now. Yeah, that's I mean, right.
1: there's lo- so there is lots of people walking around who who have these kind of characteristics. They're antisocial. They're gothic. They, I don't know. Hope, uh, hopefully, goths. don't tort- torture animals or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and not all of them commit mass shootings.
2: Well, and not all. But then mass I think shooters, all mass
1: shooters do evince those kind of antisocial oh, behaviours.
2: I think that's a big generalisation. I think a lot of them do, but I I think it would be wrong to say. That is always a factor.
1: Well, I, I don't like um, um, absolute statements. So I would never say always, but.
2: But if I just come back to you having so much trouble with her willingness mm. allegedly to murder five people, do you have any compunction in accepting that she may very well have intended to kill her ex?
1: Yeah, I've got lots of problems with that.
2: As a concept, like you're oh saying, no, of
1: course, you, you know, people, you know, have a motive to kill. I mean, lots of people have a motive to kill.
2: That's their right. Ex. But so, yeah, uh, I think it is horrendous to think of five people dying. But if you're willing to kill one person,
1: it's well,
2: not it's not that much of a stretch to say chuck in the family as
1: well. Like, well, I think it probably is. I mean, uh, o- often intimate partner home. Um, violence is situational so within the situation the person is violent outside of that situation they're not and well, so I'm, if you say well so i think it's, it is if you say well I, my my level of hatred towards my ex is such that i would be prepared to kill them I, again if if it's part of the situational violence and outside of that you're not actually a homicidal man who wants to kill everyone you just have a a deep-seated hatred for that particular yes person. i
2: accept that but so just like you're saying you're drawing some educated guesses here. Just the fact that the ex and the family are willing to come over and have a lunch and you describe it as... Convivial. Convivial. I mean, is that fact? Because for all we know, there were custody disputes going on. For all we know, the ex's parents might have been actively working to get greater access or custody. You know, you don't, I don't know, and I don't know if you know the answer to this, but if you expand the potential circumstances to be that not only did she have conflict with the ex or not only were there custody issues with the ex, but potentially with the extended family, then your situational argument for intimate partner Violence, which can extend to general family violence, could very well have encapsulated the grandparents and the aunt and uncle.
1: Yeah, certainly. I mean, we see that in domestic violence applications that it's not uncommon for people to apply and then add their relatives as as people who should also be covered by the restraining order. Because, yeah, so I I completely accept that. But I I think... And I'm not saying it's you say, well, if I'm prepared to kill one, I'm prepared to kill five. That's possible. That's absolutely possible. But I, I just think it's not so possible that it's a given. I think, you know, people, uh, you know, may well be in a situation where they're happy to kill one, but not happy to kill anybody else. They just want that one person to.
2: But could to you die. accept that there are circumstances where they would be willing to kill five?
1: I think there's circumstances when anybody, any of us, would kill five people if you put them in the right circumstances.
2: So then I think your disbelief that Erin Patterson may have continued on with her planned murder regardless mm. of her ex-husband's mm. presence is conceivable.
1: It is conceivable, but that's not the threshold. And this is an example, in my opinion, of uh, problems that I see all the time, and it's it it's the uh, the narrative fallacy. Uh, I was thinking of even doing a whole podcast on it. So, you know, humans like to identify particular facts and then weave a narrative around them. Uh, and you see this in miscarriage of justice cases all the time. I mean, the the, the um, Susan Neil Fraser case is an excellent example. These ty- A few fragments of evidence are then weaved into this story about how Sunil Fraser goes out to the yacht and kills her husband and dumps her body, you know. Uh, Similarly here, yeah, of course you can with a few, you know, a number of facts then weave a narrative. But I I always like to, and I've actually used it in jury addresses, talk about Occam's razor about, you know, the simplest answer is most likely to be correct. So, you know, to say, is it possible? Yeah, absolutely it's possible. That she is a homicidal maniac who was, prepared to commit mass slaughter on her ex and his relatives because she loathed them so much. That's absolutely possible. Is it likely? No, I don't think so. I I think the most obvious, using Occam's razor, the most obvious answer is that this is just a, a, a lunch that's gone horribly wrong. Now, what the prosecution have done to support your your position is they've also charged with the, four, the the attempted murders from these three previous occasions.
2: Well, and I I am pretty stuck on the fact she's the only one who didn't get sick.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, as I say, I don't know the details around that. Um, maybe it's been in the news. Or I haven't seen it. But So I think what the prosecution have done is they've charged the attempted murders as a way to shore up the idea of intention for the for the actual that's murders. putting
2: a lot of deceptive conduct.
1: It's not deceptive at all. Well, I'm sure they're completely upfront about that, and they but, want to run it all at one tri- as one trial. Fabricate and... No, I'm not saying they're fabricating. There's no, no,
2: but so if there are circumstances from previous occasions mm. that justify mm. an attempted murder charge, why wouldn't that be part of the case? Like obviously, it has to be part of the case. Yeah,
1: so they say it's justified. I don't know what the evidence is. So let's assume that it is justified, but but it it in it helps them the the three attempted murders helps them prove intention. On the actual murders, yeah. And why is that bad? If she had, well, when you say it's bad, I mean it's neither bad nor good. It's how it's how our system works, and it's and and there are rules around, you know, running different charges in similar in the same trial and all that kind of stuff. And I I, I don't know if those arguments are going to be had or whether they it's, it's accepted. But I'm not saying that there's anything inappropriate. I'm saying as a as a matter of uh, trial tactics or rhetoric or, you know, or persuasion, the fact that they've charged with the attempted murders is really integral, I think, in them proving the intention on the murders to show that on previous occasions he has eaten her food and gotten sick and then he was supposed to turn up to this lunch, didn't, and then all the other people, bar one.
2: I mean, it's not as though, by the sounds of it, it's not as though it was one occasion where he got sick after eating at her place. It was three. Yeah so if there's 3 i mean that does in fact potentially show a pattern of behavior which is very germane to what happened or did not happen on the day the parents and the aunt and the uncle came well, it, to lunch Well it
1: is depending on how you look at it so so November 2021 May 2022 September 2022 he eats her food and gets sick How sick uh, I don't know. Sick enough like for it to be. Oh, I don't know, but sick enough for the prosecution to feel that and there must it's have an been records.
2: I would assume if they yes. are going to charge.
1: Well, they might not have been. Maybe he just said I got sick and vomited for a few days. And never went to the doctor. I don't know. But anyway, we, let's That's accept good. that he eats her food and he gets sick. Let's accept that. That's three occasions. You say, well, that indicates a pattern of behaviour. That is over the course of at least twelve months. And but it, they're
2: not married anymore. So how often are they eating together?
1: Well, I don't know when they separated, but, you know, in 2021 and 2022, she's cooking him meals.
2: But I assume it wouldn't be regular if they're no well, longer together. Well, yeah, but this
1: is my point. Let's assume they're together. He's She's cooking him meals every single night of his life. So 365 meals, he gets sick out of three of them. I mean, that's not a bad statistic in terms of cooking.
2: <laughs> I have never.
1: Cooked a meal where someone got sick.
2: No, although I should I, say... Well, I would believe that about you. No, well, you're I should say diligent. my 14-year-old would be jumping up and down because I did recently cook her a chicken schnitzel that was still pink and oh, now wow. she's off chicken. So. <laughs> but she didn't eat it and get sick.
1: No, no, but sure. But, I mean, I'd, I'm sure you're a great cook, but, I mean, are you an experimental cook? Maybe Erin Patterson's experimental. Maybe she likes to throw in different ingredients and see how things work and see what happens. I mean i don't know but this but to say oh he got sick on three occasions and just leave that as a, as a statistic out there i think that's problematic because it's like well let's put that in context of how often she cooked for him let's put it in how context many of times kind of have you
2: was. cooked for someone and they've become sick
1: well i hope none nobody's ever complained but like, i don't cook i try well i mean i do cook a few times a week for a, anyway but, but three is a lot but i mean i know of a story where a woman cooked and used in cooked made mayonnaise from scratch the eggs were bad it was at a it was at a function which was a fundraiser. A whole lot of people at the function got sick, oh, dear. and the and an old woman died. Oh yes,
2: like this was someone you knew.
1: Well, it's a friend of a friend. Yes, <gasps> so. but that's
2: one that's one occasion
1: sure but but i'm saying i mean i i haven't made a study of how often people die from food poisoning i suspect if we got a doctor they'd say it happens more often than you think Mm. and older people Mm. do tend to be more susceptible susceptible. i mean these people are in their late 60s early 70s who died But three
2: times once is unfortunate two is concerning three Is next level.
1: Okay. Well, that kind of statistical analysis has been shown to be wrong in that recent case where the woman had four babies die of cot death or whatever. Folbig. Okay. And they said you can't use that kind of reasoning. And any statistician would tell you you can't do that kind of reasoning. All
2: right. But let's just be very clear with Folbig that she was convicted and served 20 years and it was only when there was medical evidence that could be relied upon to show the genetic predisposition that she was exonerated so that's a different that's a different circumstance
1: i don't think it is and and the and the the prosecutor's address to the jury in that case was exactly what you just said it was one's tragic two is even more tragic three is absolutely curious and four is she's definitely a murderer
2: i i i am very adamant that she should never have been convicted what i'm saying is it is a different circumstance to three separate meals that have resulted in serious illness. I would have to assume if it's going to justify an attempted murder charge, yeah. you make that face. But there has well, to well, it doesn't be doesn't have to
1: be serious illness. You can be attempted murder for shooting and missing somebody, and they get no injury whatsoever. But that's, but, a, so, but... that's a lethal weapon. Sure. Let's let's assume let's... that there's some level of illness. Correct.
2: But that that's different to the. You can't, that's apples and oranges. Folbig and this poisoning example, they're...
1: But but you say, oh, because we then found out that there was medical evidence that showed that you couldn't do that kind of statistical research. So if we
2: had medical evidence that said he was very prone to food poisoning, then I would be all on board.
1: Well, as a, but what if I say, well, she cooks from 365 days and uh, out of three meals? I mean, that that changes the statistic. And what if I say, well, um, but, she's an experimental cook; she likes to, to try different things. So, did
2: she get sick on those three I don't occasions? Know. I don't but know so this more is. That.
1: But, but, but 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 my point is, you be say, a factor. Would we, yeah, absolutely, all these things would be a factor. And which,
2: I can't help thinking, and I know. I know I'm coming at it from a prosecution perspective, but if they are going to bring an attempted murder charge against her, then I would assume she did not get sick on those occasions. And so what is the likelihood on four occasions where people have gotten sick, the fourth so sick that they die, and she's at those meals and she amazingly does not have any side effects? That's got to be more than coincidence, Joe. Like we're...
1: well, well, I think that's dangerous statistic. I, I think reasoning from statistics is always dangerous. I really do.
2: Reasoning um, from oh, statistics.
1: So from... going well, it's happened four times, so she's definitely guilty. I think. That's... I'm
2: not saying she's definitely guilty, but I'm saying I can understand a why they've charged these offences and b why they would also charge the attempted murders from prior occasions and have that be part of the overall case.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a legal basis for it. That's why they're doing it. But m- my point is, from a from a rhetorical point of view, from trying to convince a jury, the the attempted murders are essential, I think, to the murder because they because they support this intention yeah, to kill. A okay, BGBH.
2: that's fair. If you'd been if you'd been poisoned three times.
1: Well, I'd be a bit concerned about eating their cooking again. But I mean, as I say, maybe but, maybe she's an experimental cook. She loves, and he maybe he loves experimental food. He's like, let's try but something you new. Just said He's you in would Thailand be eating street food. I don't know. I mean, no. I don't do that. I'm super conservative before I eat. <laughs> but you, you can't know. say
2: you would be concerned about eating her food again, and then say, "Well, it doesn't really make sense." Well, to
1: she hasn't invited me to dinner, but I'll consider that if she does. <laughs> I don't know. So. Uh, anyway, it was it's certainly uh, an interesting case for all those points of view. Now, I mentioned at the start I'd talk about th- some other cases. We we probably don't have a lot of time, but I'll just mention a couple very briefly. Okay. So so Florence Maybrick is this is a nineteenth century case, 1889. She's convicted of murdering her husband via arsenic poisoning. She married him when she was 18. He was 42. He was very wealthy. She was very she was from a very wealthy family too. So I mean her his brothers felt she was a gold digger and and they sort of pressured or or really pushed for her to be um, charged. He dies of arsenic poisoning. Now, he had been taking arsenic. He was a hypochondriac. He always thought he was sick. He was constantly taking medication to make him better. Arsenic was one of the things he was taking. Uh, The case against her in a medical sense was very weak um, because even the doses of arsenic, they could sort of demonstrate that she might have been involved in giving him weren't lethal doses. Mm -hmm. And, And everybody accepted he was taking it himself. She's convicted. She's, she's sentenced to, uh, in 1989, she's sentenced to death. Wow. Commuted two weeks later. Apparently, the judge's summing up was just off the dial bad. Okay. Because there had been infidelity in the marriage. He had mistresses. She had partners. The jury never heard that he had mistresses. The judge really went on about how she had been, you know, unfaithful in the marriage. And so it's commuted to life imprisonment. So it becomes a cause celeb in England because she, um, the women's rights groups are up in arms about how, you know, patriarchal the legal system yeah. is and the double standards. But it's also used as a, a way to push for the creation of a court of appeal because there's no right of an appeal from a jury in 1889. Uh-huh. You're convicted by a jury, that's it. So that's one of the cases they used. that said, well, there should be a, an appeal because the trial was so bad, you know, it should be corrected on appeal.
2: So who commuted the
1: sentence? The, look, the Home Secretary or something, oh, you right. know, the, okay. it's uh, England, in England, so I think the Home Secretary right. deals with all of that. So she does 15 years in jail. Apparently, Queen Victoria was convinced she was guilty, and that's why she couldn't be let out of jail. When Queen Victoria dies, she's let out of jail. Wow. Goes back to the States, dies in poverty. So, um, but that is a case, and it, a case in those three elements that I talked about. So arsenic poisoning, they say he died of them, I'm not sure the standard of medical Proof, proof, but anyway, Um, but he he, how did how did was she involved in giving it to him? Well, he was taking it voluntarily, you know, and so that really affects both whether she administered a fatal dose, but also whether she had intention to kill. And again, they said intention to kill because she would benefit from his death by inheriting.
2: So was there evidence she had given him any doses
1: yeah she would she would give him some medication from time to time yeah I mean a bit like the Klaus von Bulow case she was he was a hypochondriac, he was always taking medication right and that and they got to a stage in their relationship where they really disliked each other I think it's quite a toxic relationship but okay. and there was talk that they were going to divorce and so that was all used as motive
2: right so it was based on motive rather than yeah intent per se yeah
1: mm. Then there's the other in the Australian case, which is fascinating. Um, Emily Perry in in 1978 and 79, she's charged with attempted murder of her husband, two counts, by arsenic poisoning. She's convicted. It goes all the way to the high court. I don't even know how it got through the South Australian Court of Criminal Appeal. I mean, the, the case was so woeful. The High Court just absolutely tore it apart. Mm. Justice Murphy's um, decision is hilarious. He is just scathing about the, the expert evidence. So the guy, he gets sick from arsenic poisoning, but his hobby is to renovate old pianolas and pianos, which apparently often had you know, rat poison in them, which is arsenic, mm. uh, and also had lead in them. And so that uh, you know, and he'd been in sick, he'd been in sick a number of times, and then he you know gets really sick, I think. And that um, she's charged with attempted murders, but unbelievably, to support that charge, they accuse her and run evidence in front of the jury of how on three previous occasions she has poisoned people, her other people, s- other people. They say she poisoned her second husband. This was her third marriage or something. Hmm. He had died from arsenic poisoning. Um, never charged at the time. So, this is, you know, 18 years earlier.
2: I'm
1: never charged, no insurance. already issues. leaning
2: towards those statistics. Anyway. She,
1: she, she uh, collects his insurance policy. So, they run this effectively murder trial for an 18 year old murder. You as know, part of it. As the part evidence. of when. Anyway, so then they say, then there was another man who was, um, oh, her brother killed her brother. They, they get more ridiculous as it goes. So, the first one dies of arsenic poisoning. The second one um, dies of arsenic poisoning, but he's an alcoholic and he's depressive and he's been to mental institutions for depression. So there's every likelihood he could have committed suicide. She doesn't benefit from his death at all. The prosecution say she just wanted to get rid of her brother because he was, you know, difficult problematic. to deal, Problematic. Mm-hmm. The third one is a de facto partner that she'd had for a number of years before she marries Mr. Perry.
2: And he also died of arsenic poisoning? No,
1: he dies of overdose of barbiturates, which he gave himself. But she, they said she convinced him to do it and she benefits from the life insurance policy.
2: Look, I...
1: So they run all that in front of a jury.
2: How? how okay.
1: Medical evidence is terrible okay. and uh, gets to the High Court. Justice Murphy just shakes his head, what's going on in South Australia? Throws it out. Acquitted. Really? But she's gone down. If you Google her name, Emily Perry, it comes up the Black Australia's black widow.
2: But I, I 100%. Oh, my God. Can understand, like that is a lot of, this a, a lot of arsenic activity in one, one woman's life.
1: Well, uh, arsenic, I don't think it's used anymore. Maybe I'll go and ask my chemist, if i buy some arsenic. But, um, you <laughs> know, it, it's, it's used, well, it was used as rat poison, but it was used, I don't know, medicinally. Oh, I
2: understand it was more People commonly available. People thought it was
1: aphrodisiac at some point.
2: But, I mean, that, that you know, wow, coincidence. Like, seriously. At some point, coincidence has to raise suspicions.
1: Mm, maybe, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, the, the High Court certainly uh, thought there was absolutely nothing. Well,
2: else. and all due respect to Justice Murphy. Murphy. But the High Court aren't always right.
1: No, I think they're often wrong, particularly when they so <laughs> throw maybe, out the
2: pill. maybe this um, judge just had something that, I don't know, he felt... A particular way, but another judge may not have. Who knows?
1: Was a majority decision. He didn't sit on it alone. He writes a particularly scathing judgment.
2: I don't think that's an open and shut case by any means. Wow,
1: poor old Emily Emily Perry. Wow. Um, And there was a more recent case which I won't go into any detail, but the because the woman has admitted to giving her partner antifreeze
2: in tea, I think,
1: and he dies. She felt she thought she was going to inherit. Money that he thought he was going to inherit, but it turns out that was he was victim of a scam and he wasn't inheriting anything. Oh. And um, so she killed him for the money and there was no money. Life in prison? I don't think she's been sentenced yet. It happened in November.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. What is wrong with people? Although listening, America, yeah. listening to a lot of these, I mean, it brings to mind so many of the crime novels that I read. Mm. Like this happens in
1: crime, novels. In crime right. novels. It doesn't happen in real life. As you know, as a prosecutor, most crimes are very, very mundane. And that's what uh, this whole, what I call the narrative, well, it's called the narrative fallacy. But I said this is how, this is an example of it in the law, you know, weaving together some very fascinating and interesting and exciting story from a series of facts, you know, and selling it to a jury whose only experience of criminal law is reading John Grisham novels.
2: Huh. Now you want to criticise the jury?
1: No, I'm criticising the prosecutor for putting that together. That's what I'm criticising.
2: Yes. Well, okay. I think that's a bit of a um, about-face from an earlier conversation we've had about <laughs> juries.
1: A great faith in the jury service, provided the trials run properly.
2: <laughs> yes, well, we will see. Mm. I think we'll have to follow up on Erin Patterson and see we will. what happens yes. there. Who is Innocent correct? until proven guilty, so we Absolutely. should say all and of that. and it's all him. allegedly. Is, yes, all allegedly. We're just talking theoretically yes. um, as her... As an, ex- as an example that triggered it. Yes. Um, Lovely. Very interesting. Thank oh, you, Oh, I'm Joe. glad you enjoyed it. Okay. Yeah, Thanks. Good. Thanks, Lizzie. I won't be coming to dinner. <laughs> okay.
1: Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning into this episode. You can find links to the cases that we discussed in the description. You can also find a link to Guardian Criminal Law, and a big shout-out to them for making this podcast possible majority of criminal cases involve people normal people people like you people like me who find themselves in unusual set of circumstances that would not usually occur in their life my name is mark savick and i'm here to assist you with your criminal matter i look forward to hearing from you and being of assistance to you if you're interested in clips you can look at them on instagram and tiktok just search for justice matters pod see you next episode